Welcome to the Hot Stove Society Show. We're so happy that you joined us here, both in the studio, in your gardens, on the road, wherever you happen to be getting our, our, our terrestrial or podcast service. We're thankful to be part of your day. My name is Tom Douglas, and, and I'm, I'm a chef yeah. owner of uh, a few joints here around town, including Seatown in the north end of the Pike Place Market area. Uh, of course, here, the beautiful hot stove, which is uh, located inside the, the uh, Hotel Andra, 4th and Virginia, right here in downtown Seattle. Gorgeous hotel. And uh, Lola and Dahlia Bakery and Serious Pie. You know, we opened last week in Totem Lake. Ooh, Did congratulations. You know How is that going? Uh, it was good until I had to go back for my mom. Uh, so oh, I, yeah. I left the day after we opened. But they're doing fine, I'm sure. They're doing fine, yeah. You have a good team, so. They're professionals. Exactly. Yeah. Professional. And you, sir? And I'm Terry Rotero, the chef in a hat. Sorry, I jumped the gun earlier. <laughs> and uh, happy to roam around town. Mm-hmm. If you're down at the airport, you should check out uh, Lulu, right? Isn't that Lulu, your... Concours B. You consult on that project Correct. down there? It's fun. I'm working on the... Uh, all winter changes. I want to try to bring, you know, Boeuf Bourguignon, Cassoulet, things like this to the airport. Don't do it, Chef. No? No. Why? I don't know. Unless, uh, unless you can make it foolproof, I think that's a tough one. I'm going to surround it by iron, cast iron made in America. And okay. then, uh, <laughs> All right. Just my personal suggestion. We have a large show today brought to you by our esteemed producer, Pamela Hinckley. Uh, zucchini. That's the only way that would have made it into the show is if Pam put it in there. Uh, I would say. <laughs> I know it wouldn't be on your list, but we have to list. deal with it. Vigorous vinegars. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is what's that all about? You just want us to have more, make more, more, you... more snap. I want more snap in my life. Okay, that's what you can do when you add vinegar to things. <laughs> Bruce Miyahara is here. He's a true foodie who transitioned from the public health director. Now I didn't know that about Bruce. You're going to learn a lot today. Okay. Uh, I met Bruce at one of our summer camps, our culinary summer camps. He's a gem, that man. He seems to be the sweetest man on the planet. Yeah, he truly is. He is uh, truly a cool dude. Cleaning your stove and oven, that's an exciting topic that we're going to get into. How do you do it and preserve some of the patina that is your life? I'll give you a hint. Have someone else do it. Have someone else do it. (laughs) Colorful and quick stir fries for the summertime. And, uh, of course, uh, we're going to finish up the day... Uh, with our Rub With Love trivia, uh, which today, what's our theme? Do we have a theme? Carol Bausch, our highly esteemed Rub With Love product line manager, wrote the questions, and they're all about popular culture, movies, and music with food in the title. Oh, great. I'm so excited. I'm going to be so sinking that one. Who's playing with us? You know, if you're a longtime listener, you might be able to write us, uh, write the quiz yourself, right? If you get in touch with Pamela, how do they get in touch with you? Everybody knows my email, Pamela H at TomDouglas.com. All right. You can, write, you can write questions and try and stump us. Uh, you have to be somewhat reasonable, though, right? It's no fun no, if, we no. just, if they're so esoteric that you... No. And we, is there a, any other criteria? Food-related? Food-related. Yeah, or wine food, or, you know, or wine-related. Yeah, 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 something like that. All right. All right. My taste of the week is a couple of things. One, I just came back from uh, uh, doing my mother's Irish wake. What That was her request to... Uh, when she passed to have an Irish wake, which in my research on an Irish wake, uh, you, you think in my mind, I just start thinking whiskey and stuff, with, you know, Guinness and Bass, and it's got nothing to and do with it. why not? Apparently, it's got nothing to do with that. Really? Uh, everything I could find, it was like uh, cold sandwiches from the neighbors, gather around, a little bit Quaker-esque where you tell stories, and 
and express your hurt or your pain uh, over the passing or your, your joy. For me, it was joyful. My mother lived her best life, right? She lived, she got to do everything she wanted to do, stayed in her home till the end, uh, was cognizant till the end, you know, just, she lived a great life, loved her children. I'm the only one who let her down. I'm the only one of her kids that didn't well, go to that's, college. If that's what that was, I think she did really well. Yeah, I'm, I'm children, the only one of her eight really children well. that didn't go to college. So uh, that was always a black mark on her, on her do- dossier there, you know. So, uh, but she uh, realized how smart you were as you grew up, right? She realized later that I didn't need college. That's right. <laughs> I told my daughter that too. Not everybody to does. Not to go to college. Use the money for like a down payment on a house or something, you know, whatever. But nope, nope, she couldn't, she didn't, she didn't. She went to college and you still put a down payment on the house. Anyway, cool. I think I told the story last week about my mother's last hour mm-hmm. uh, and the things that she told my sister on her deathbed about what was in the downstairs chest freezer that needed to get used up. And <laughs> so, so amazing. It was amazing. There, there were two things she said. One is, and my sister did both. Or I did one, and she, my sister did the other. One was that... You know, they had just brought bon, bra and panties at Kohl's, and my mother told my sister on her deathbed that the, you know, the tags were still on them. Please take them back. I'm, I'm not going to need them. <laughs> anyway, she listed off all the things in the freezer, as I, I told you last week. So when I got there on uh, whatever day it was, uh, I had had my sister pull out the turkey, pull out the chicken breast, chicken thighs, pork tenderloin, a bag of shrimp, Everything got it all thought, and I roasted everything up for the wake. wake. The, like, and I made sandwiches out of the ham, and she made a delicious ham salad. I bought fresh crab meat for a crab salad or crab uh, dip. You didn't use the can that was in the fridge. I used the can that was in the fridge, but I surrounded it by <laughs> fresh. I did. I used the, the yeah. I did the lump crab. Matter of fact, I argue with my sisters about it, but uh, yeah. So I, I used up the freezer. I got to the bottom of the freezer for the eighty or hundred. And you people found your milk crate. My milk crates were still there, but we had a contest. All the sibs, because we, we know my mother is a pack rat when it comes to food in the freezer. She never wanted to be without. Yeah. Who was going to find the oldest dated product? My sisters had already been through the cabinets, and we, it was a dollar to join the contest. And my sister had been through the cabinets, and so I didn't feel like I had a shot because my other sister went through the freezer. So I'm down there, I'm rifling through the freezer, and down below one of the milk crates... <laughs> There was actually a milk crate turned the other way with a few things in it. (laughs) And so, sure enough, right there, pine nuts, which I probably bought. I don't know. but She would have not put that in the freezer. Pine nuts, uh, January of 1995. (laughs) Holy smokes. Is there a tree growing in the freezer? My sisters are so mad that I found something older because we had (laughs) things from 2000 and 2004 and all over the place, but I won the I won the deal. Do you think they paid off? No, no of course not. Of course not. They say you cheated. Okay, you have two minutes. <laughs> Your taste of the week. My taste of the week. This week I went to a place. Remember where Luke used to be at yes. Twenty Eight and Madison? There is a new restaurant called Camp, and I went to try Camp to see what they were doing, and they're doing a great job. I think it's a very nice uh, little neighborhood. It's a bit more. Um, how would I describe it? It's a little bit more hip. Than Luke was in terms of hip, uh, hipness. The music is louder. It's the 80s music, kind of a music. Well, some people would say that's more obnoxious because they don't like the loud but, music. I, you call it whatever you want. I just call it, I'm trying to describe it. Okay. Um, but the food was delicious. And we had wonderful little uh, rockfish ceviche. Um, I felt the, f- the, f- the food was a little bit more southern. 
It's definitely at the southern influence, cornbread and all that stuff. Um, but one of the highlight was also the dessert. They had they have a soft serve, and they had a just a plain vanilla soft serve. Then they make and a lemon uh, soft serve, and that was quite yummy. The only thing that I would say is they had the beginning of their um, work. The soft serve on top of the cone was this high, and I'm so I'm, you're, and I'm you're making about what? a ten inch. You're making about a ten inch yeah, height, and I'm like that is absolutely too much. Yeah, you should not serve anything that. Welcome big. to America. Yeah, it's just not. Yeah. What did it feel like to be back in your old space for the first time? You know, they they're trying really hard to you know not be all black and everything. They painted a little pink here and there, put mm-hmm. some things on the wall. It felt a little bit weird because. You know, you know your place the way you know it, and now it's a different person running yeah. it. It's like selling your house and going back to visit, right? Yeah, I've With never the, done that, obviously, yeah. because I've always been in the same house. But yes, it would be the same thing. It would yeah. be kind of weird. But it is, um, I, I encourage people to try it because it's a good neighborhood restaurant, and I think they're trying. So go to All camp. All right, don't dread it. When your neighbor drops off zucchini, Terry and I are going to fix that issue when we come back on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. It's the Hot Stove Society show on Cairo. Tom and Terry in the kitchen. And Chef um, uh, Pamela has given us the opportunity to expand on our thoughtfulness about zucchini. Yeah, I know how you think about it. Well, like, here's, what, here's what I do think it's about It's one of it. the things you can throw in the backyard, right? No, no, no. I think it's great in the compost bin. It really breaks down quickly. Uh, <laughs> no, let's talk about zucchini. People have so much of it this time of year. And, you know, uh, I'm sick of zucchini bread. So. And I'm, you know, there's, there's got to be other ways to make it that are exciting. And I know Jackie's favorite way, and I'll, I'll tell that, but, but you. I think then this year for me, zucchini has been a vegetable I used raw mm-hmm. a lot in salads. Um, I've never used it as much as this year in a raw state. Just take a zucchini, slice it, and mix with um, cucumber, tomato, feta. You know, like kind of like, so a, like a Greek salad, a Greek salad with zucchini in it, chunks or, or no, no slices, slices, yeah, and really but in the, chunk form, not ribbons. Correct, correct. Yeah. No, rib, I'm not a big ribbon. You know that zucchini ribbon trend. Yeah, it's not for me. Pamela loves like the zoodles, right? I'm still spiralizing zucchini. <laughs> it's okay. You can if you have the machine. You should use it for sure. Um, but anyway, the, to, just to say that it's a great vegetable to add to any salad. Um, it's not going to offend anybody because. Zucchini yeah, doesn't no have any depth yeah. in terms of flavor. It's not like, uh, you know, putting feta in any it's salad. It's like tofu. It's a vehicle. Right. Yeah. And, and so if you have a lot of it, put it into your salad, incorporate it into your salad. It, it will do nothing but just be, you'll be eating zucchini. It goes well with watermelon. I've done watermelon salad with a bunch of sliced zucchini. Now, I recommend cutting the zucchini in cubes instead of slices because it's better because you're eating chunks. Uh, that imbibe with the uh, watermelon juice, uh, especially if you make a little dressing with watermelon, water, and mustard. You have nice, and it imbibes into the zucchini because the zucchini will swallow anything. Um, so those are my recommendations at starts. Because zucchini, once you have them in your garden, be careful what you wish for. Yeah. They will grow, and if you don't pick them young, they will keep growing. Yeah. I think everyone has seen the big monster zucchinis that kind of got missed. Yeah. And that can happen over a weekend. You oh, know, in go two from days. A, it can go from a perfect size to a big size. It happened to me. I used to be very skinny, and then over a weekend, boom, 
Expansion. Is it how Expansion. it happened? Expansion Over choice. a weekend? Yeah, exactly. That was a big weekend. Uh, my wife, Jackie, loves zucchini more than I do. Um, so I'll give you two ways. For me, it's on the charcoal grill. Right. I've been buying this new charcoal down at McClendon's Hardware, down, I, I, down in Renton. Whenever I drive by, I drop in, and I got this charcoal called Bayou Classic. Huh. B-A-Y-O-U, Bayou Classic. And it's, it, it says it right on the bag. It's really heavy and intense. It's hard to light. But once you do get a lit and get it going, it's intense. And uh, I liked it on one of the problems with trying to grill zucchini in a charcoal grill is that oftentimes the fire's not hot enough. Right. And you end up kind of baking it, steaming it. Whereas when you can get that intense heat, nice like, like off of this particular charcoal that I like, uh, you can get a nice char on it and still not cook the zucchini through. Because that's right. the goal, right? right? Is to get the char and still have it al dente kind of in the middle. At least that's my goal. Right. And on zucchini, you just need to char one side. So I like it like that. And then Jackie makes a... Wait, do you oil it first yeah, or after? Yeah, I just after? brush it with olive oil, okay. salt and pepper. Uh, and Jackie likes to make coins out of the zucchini, pan fries it to get the brown on it, and then she puts Parmesan on top and puts it under the broiler. Oh, sweet. And, it gets, and she gets the parm kind of roasted and crispy and browned and makes little zucchini. Her, I guess her mom used to do that. And she does it with eggplant, too, sometimes. But that's, uh, I'll, I'll eat it like that. That's a classic. Is it? Yeah, it's very classic. To do zucchini and cheese and zucchini and tomato and cheese, that's a classic. Mm. I mean, that's like, to me, it it's sounds just like south of France, Italy, you know, yeah, the Mediterranean coast. Yeah, but south of France, you like zucchini and those tions, which yeah. to me is just boiled zucchini. It's, it's gross. It's a stew, yeah. It's not, it's it's not very... Yeah. But they also do, you know, like when they do pizzas and stuff like that, it's often that they use zucchini and tomato together and cheese. What's the French word for courgette, right? Courgette, yeah. Courgette, yeah. Yeah, they do the, put that on pizza there. Yeah. And That's they, why the French didn't invent pizza, because they put zucchini on pizza. You know, you as, as everything else... You wouldn't else, see that in Rome or as, as everything else, we didn't invent anything, but we certainly perfected it. <laughs> zucchini <laughs> on pizza. Give me a break. Why not? Why? You why? Because when you Let's leave... Think. Pepperoni, When zucchini. you live in a region... Pepperoni, zucchini. When you live in a region where the sun shines so much, and you have zucchini in the backyard, you have to use them. Okay. If your specialty is to have pisaladier or... Or a nice little torte. You put zucchini on top, it doesn't... Let's talk about zucchini again in taking it sliced lengthwise but right. thin where you can actually make little rolls with it. What would you put in those rolls? I know uh, you love to do like salmon, smoked salmon cornets. Or tapenade. I would think uh, olive tapenade yeah. with zucchini goes really well. Would you great sear appetizer. the zucchini first or just do it raw? I would take like the ribbon that you make. Mm-hmm. I would take my grill and I would throw them on one side only, like Tom no, said. No, no, no. She makes, she makes zoodles. Spaghetti. Oh, spaghetti. spaghetti. No, I'm yeah. talking sliced. Like, you know, you have the same machine. A thin yeah. slice. should yeah. be able to make thin sliced long ribbon. You take those and you just give it one quick sear on one side and then you take them out and then you, put, you roll it and you put uh, olive tapenade inside. It's really delicious. So on that kind of uh, tapenade, you have to use the paste version of tapenade, right? Sometimes it's chunky, but that's not, that's not going to stay in a roll. Well, you make it fine chop. So the pasty so version. Not yeah. pasty. I hate the word pasty because it's like, doesn't remind me of something really nice, nice feel. I want fine chop, okay, chef? How about mince, the minced version? Thank you. Thank you. Mince will work, but definitely not paste. Okay. Glad we cleared that up. Yeah. Is that because my anyway, skin is pasty? Olive tapenade is a good 
thing to do. Anything, anything with cheese would work very well, like a goat cheese. If you're taking those ribbon and you make a swirl like a twirl like this and you put it on the parchment paper, you, you keep saying like this, and nobody on the radio can see you right now. So if you take a ribbon and you roll it with keeping a hole in the center, you can stuff that hole like a like a cornet, like a yeah, like a cornet or yeah. like a like a like a, what would that be like a a hollowed zucchini? How about that? Okay. And in the center, you just put olive and goat cheese together, and you put that in the, in the oven for one second, and you get a wonderful little appetizer. One, one time when I was asked to serve pigs in a blanket, because this is, I, you know what pigs in a blanket are? Yes. Uh, it's caviar. Just it's, kidding. Uh, <laughs> oddly enough, at some very fancy caterings, it's kind of like the joke appetizer, and so people often want pigs in a blanket kind of as like a jokey appetizer, but they want a gluten-free pigs in a blanket. Oh, great. So I use zucchini as my around the, and it completely, when I went to sear it, it completely disintegrated. Because yeah. I, I had it put together with toothpicks, and as soon as I heated the zucchini, it just psh, fell apart. So it was, a, it was a, I'm not sure what I called it after So that. the trick of that would be to sear your, your sausage first. Vienna. Vienna, your Vienna. Weenie, yeah. Sear your Vienna, sear your zucchini first. Then roll everything cold. Exactly. And then put it in the oven for one minute and then boom. Just to you get warm it back up a little bit. Yeah. yeah. A little drop of Dijon on top or chef's mustard and done. Do you think if you ate uh, pigs in a blanket that way, you would feel healthier? Well, it would be healthier. <laughs> it's not even a question. <laughs> it would be healthier. Just, I would eh, probably it's hard make. Hard to say. Hard to I would, say. I would make the Vienna, though. I would make the, uh, the sausage myself. Would you? You know, they're hard to make that size. Those little teeny weenies? Yeah, no, of course. They're hard to make. You got to use lamb casing, yeah. and you can't fill them too full. Yeah. And yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it's not a, it's a labor of love for sure. I but love my teeny weenies. Oh, I would call my friend Oscar. Yeah. I was just by the Oscar Meyer factory in South Philly. Just oh, you were? Yeah. I was going to uh, John's Roast Pork, which is a stand on the south side of Philly uh, that we always go to, to uh, on the way to the airport. We leave time to get there and then back down to the airport. It's delicious. John roast pork. Oh, garlic spinach on top of the roast pork. Mm, so good. When we come back. Are we done with zucchini? We're done with zucchini. Let's jump right into vinegar. When we come back, what kind of vinegars are must-haves in your pantry? We'll let you know right here on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. All right, let's jump right into our next segment here. It's the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo. We're here at the Hot Stove Society Kitchens that are... Filled with vinegars right now. You know, Ooh. Chef uh, Pamela had asked us to kind of do an inventory of what is in our home kitchen when it comes to vinegar. So I went and looked because I thought I, I thought I had a few. And it turns out I do have a few. <laughs> uh, uh, several from you, sir. Uh, some fruit vinegars that you've made from uh-huh. you over the last year or two. I also have, of course, uh, the classic. That red- would be more like five. Well, whatever. They're getting better by the minute. I have the classic red wine vinegar yep. of both Cabernet and... Uh, kind of like the cheap Heinz, or what's the name? Like there's an Italian. Yeah, I have it's, the same one. Yeah, it's, it comes in a little barrel bottle. Anyway, it's not Italian. It just has an Italian name. White vinegar, rice vinegar. My favorite that I use all the time uh, is this: what we use on the salad at Serious Pie, the Muscatel vinegar. Yeah, I love that. Uh, it's just got a great flavor. Slightly sweet. I have sherry vinegar, balsamic vinegar, both red and white. Uh, the blueberry and raspberry, I think, came from you. True. And the, uh, uh, there's a pepper vinegar and a coconut vinegar that come from Indonesia that uh, are super inexpensive. Those are the kind of things like when I'm walking the aisles at Wajamaya and I see something, yeah, I should try that. Right. You know, you see a bottle of vinegar there for uh, 
for two bucks or something like that. It's a whole like a fifth, right, right. And so, and then I also have uh, vinegar dipping sauces that I think of kind of from Hong Kong area, the red vinegars, the black vinegars right. that you dip dumplings into. I so have a, lots and lots of vinegars in my house. I have a, I don't know, it's not a, really a vinegar, but it's, I use it as a thinking of vinegar for a different flavor, black garlic shoyu, and it has that, uh, it has a bite, but it's also have a huge depth mm-hmm. to it. So it's also something I use kind of thinking but of that's a vinegar. That's a soy sauce. It is kind of a, it's a, yes, it's a soy sauce, but it's a, to me, I use it as thinking of a finishing product for, you know, when I want to enhance a, a sauce. For example, if I have a jus, you know, in, in my pan, and I want to finish it and give it something a little bit stronger and a bit more, and I don't have any veal stock on hand, I take that show you black garlic show you and put that in there. And I do the same thing with vinegar. When I have something I want to have more personality, this is what I do at the end. I put a little dash or two of vinegar in anything, and it will right away brighten the whole thing right. and give it a personality. So if I use a product, for example, like a red wine vinegar, like your inexpensive red wine vinegar you find in the store, I will cook that a little bit. But if I use, for example, what we have in front of us, we have this mango. So this is a sample that was sent to us. Uh, you want to tell people what the, what the brand is? So the brand is Laconico. So it's, it's a Greek family premium, out of Virginia. Premium gourmet product from... Uh, yeah, from Virginia, and it's a mango, mango pure vino vinegar. Yeah. So it's, it's mango a mango puree and white wine vinegar. Correct. So that kind of vinegar, which is still a vinegar, is great for finishing product. Like if I have, I was just telling uh, one of our listeners, if we have uh, a roast pork, for example, I take the roast pork out of the pan. I got my onions, you know, that are cooked in there and everything. I will deglaze my pan with a little bit of white wine or red wine. <coughs> In this case, white wine. Let it cook down. Put a little bit of chicken stock or whatever stock I have. Let that reduce down. And at the last minute, I would finish with a good three, four tablespoons of that, which is beautiful mango puree flavor and vinegar at the same time. So I'm getting two things. I'm getting the mango flavor and I'm getting the acids mm-hmm. from the white vinegar. So this is a great finishing vinegar. So, but the mango has to work with the rest of your meal, though. Oh, yeah, right? You obviously. don't want it, like an Italian supper with a mango vinegar. Obviously, I'm not going to put that in my, yeah. Yeah, on my carpaccio or whatever. I'm obviously choosing the place to use it. But I'm, I'm using this as an example. But there are many other vinegars. I have a, a pomegranate vinegar that I made, and it's the same concept. I made a pomegranate juice, reduced down, and I mix it with red wine vinegar, and then I let it age and then I put it in a bottle. I actually bring it to a boil so then it doesn't... So once you put the juice into the vinegar, you bring it to a boil again? Correct. Okay. And just do and it... And what say, let's say you have a pomegranate juice, is it one to how many parts vinegar? Oh, I one would part say... pomegranate syrup to how much vinegar? I would say it's uh, one syrup for one vinegar. One and one. One to one? Yeah. Wow. Because it's very... I mean, pomegranate syrup is very thick. So you I, have, I know. That's why I'm surprised it wasn't cut more with more no, vinegar. No, one to one. And, um, well, it's one quart to one quart. So now you have a vinegar that is very thick, and that's also a finishing product. So, again, using the same idea, the concept of you just did a steak, for example. You, you seared your steak in the pan. You have this beautiful bottom of the pan. You need to deglaze. You take a little bit of red wine, vine, uh, red wine reduce that down, add this vinegar which is pomegranate vinegar, you add that to the red wine after it's reduced, 
a nugget of butter, you've got this wonderful, beautiful product on your hand. Mm. Put that on your steak. Mm. Put that on your steak and eat it too, right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, when you when you uh, use vinegars, I don't know if you have a favorite. My favorite for vinegars is the quick pickle. Uh, you know, whether it's uh, the zucchini that we were talking about mm. earlier or cucumbers or whatever, but just heat it up. Uh, I marry the amount of sugar or honey that I want to go with the sweetness of the vinegar. Like if you're using the commercially made rice vinegars, they're pretty right. sweet. Right. They have a lot of sugar in them, so you don't need a whole lot. Sometimes I'll just use a little mirin, which is a sweet sake, basically, right. and with my rice vinegar, and kind of balance it out that way. But um, I just heat those up with some chili flakes and some uh, maybe smoked salt or, or something to kind of give it a little bit of depth. One slice serrano pepper or right. whatever, and then just pour it over your zucchini. Half hour later, you've got the perfect uh, pickle for a, yeah, a this- garnish on that mango pork that you just made. Right. That would, oh, be a good, that would be a good combination. And don't forget, vinegar as a base is a great... Uh, I mean, it's made for dressing. It is literally made for dressing. You know, you put a little Dijon mustard in any vinegar and a little bit of oil, either vegetable oil or uh, olive oil, depends on what you're doing. <coughs> and you get this wonderful dressing. You make a half a cup of that, put it in the fridge, use it in the next couple of weeks. Every time you make a salad and you're done. Uh, yes, the reason the subject came to me is because yesterday I made that recipe we talked about last week, the cold spaghetti with crab. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Um, so the dressing that you make requires uh, the sherry vinegar, which lives way at the back of my cupboard. I never reach for it. Dijon and tangerine segments. And you put the hot spaghetti in with the olive oil and the sherry vinegar gave it a, a wonderful nutty characteristic to the spaghetti, mm-hmm. but not too strong for when the crab and caviar was added. It was right. a beautiful balance. You know, it's interesting how much Asian food uses calls for sherry vinegar in, in the funny. I don't know if there's just a taste, really? a flavor profile. Yeah. Sherry vinegar. Yeah, flavor profile or something. Because it's one vinegar I have at home, but I, never, I didn't even put that on the... On the picture or on the, uh, I have sherry vinegar, and I also keep the rice vinegar in the fridge. Okay, so you have a dozen different kinds of vinegar. You have probably more, but you have a dozen different kinds of vinegar. How do you keep them in the most pristine state possible? Because there's a couple of things that I find super wasteful. One is buying vinegar in too big of a jar. Right. Right. I buy, even though it's a little bit more expensive per ounce, I buy the smallest jar I can so that I go through it faster. Right. Instead of it's not the kind of thing I want to buy at Costco, <laughs> even if it's balsamic. Right. I just right. just don't use it too fast much. Enough too yet. much. Uh, so how do you keep your vinegars fresh? Because as soon as you break the seal and open them up, they start to oxidize. Well, they they start to oxidize. But Tom, vinegar is already something that is oxidized. So right. let's not forget that vinegar has a much much longer shelf life than oil. You know, for example. It does, but it loses its fruitiness if it sits out there. It does lose a little bit of it. Especially, uh, it's very important that you refrigerate it if you have fresh puree of either vegetable or fruit or herbs into your vinegar. Because that will help it disintegrate. So, you got to keep that refrigerated. But my recommendation is this. We all, I was just saying that earlier, we all have a whole bunch of oil, vinegar, salts, whatever. If you want to move them out... First of all, dating them is, of course, a noble idea. But more importantly, take them out of the cupboard, put them on the counter, so you can remember that you have it. I think the biggest dilemma that we have 
is we all love everything, we all want everything, and we all have everything. The problem is we waste it because we don't remember. We put it in the cupboard, we close the door, and we forget it's there. And dang, it's been there for three years. I didn't even remember I had that. We suffer of that, number one. That's the number one problem in America. Number one. Number one, waste. <laughs> uh, the other ways to use them up are to make brines out of them, right? So yeah. uh, one of the things that we do at our restaurants is we take, you know, we buy a lot of dill pickles. Right. And we take all the dill pickle juice. We get buying by the five-gallon bucket, so it's full of vinegar, of brine, which is salt and vinegar, basically. Right. And uh, we take that and we marinate or brine our fish and chips, yeah. like all the fish, for 30 minutes. We put it in a brine. Uh, our chicken sandwiches for 30 minutes, we put in that salty uh, vinegar brine. Reuse it. And Reuse. you can see it tur- starts to turn the chicken a little bit white because it immediately wants to cook it. Sure. But it's really just, we don't leave it on long enough to let that happen. But, uh, but you just picked thing, up the flavor. Instead of pouring your pickle juice down the drain, use it as a brine for, and make something delicious, especially where you're going to be using tartar sauce yeah. afterwards. I mean, the only thing you, I can think of other than that would be to clean your silver. There you go. Thanks for that, chef. (laughs) Brine your silverware. Up next, we're going to talk about savory, sweet, tangy, garlicky, nutty, spicy stir fries to make the last of the summer. Isn't that sad that we're saying the last of the summer? Easy Easy now. We are only in, we're not even at mid-August. Take it easy. Last of the summer suppers right here on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. We're back in the hot stove kitchen. I'm Tom Douglas. And I'm Terry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. You know, we love to banter back and forth, chef, because you and I come from very different food backgrounds. Uh, Over the years, as long as we've been friends now for 30 years, uh, over the years, um, we've morphed a little bit more towards each other, I would say. I've learned plenty from you, and you've stolen plenty from me. That's right. (laughs) I've stolen what was good. You're left with the rest. So there's just two things. There's two things, yeah. Uh, anyway, but when it comes to stir-fry, I bet you and I go about things a little bit differently. Well, the reason is I never stir-fry, or you rarely stir-fry. That was my guess. Rarely. <laughs> only I because, about that. you know yeah. why? My wife won't let me. I, I would. I mean, I used to in my restaurant much more than they do in my house. She just Because you don't have a hood, right? No, 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 nothing to do with that. We're, oh, really? We're not afraid of the smell in my house. Are you kidding me? Well, here, we don't care about that. I don't think that's an unreasonable worry. Okay, that's, that wasn't the reason. Okay. The reason is because she doesn't want to eat fried food if she doesn't have to. But it's not fried. It's but not, no, like, but I, not like deep fried. You, you don't have to tell me. You have to tell her. Kathy, are you this listening? This is a long-term battle here. Kathy, are you listening? Come close <laughs> to the radio. Uh, this is an ancient technique. And it's not deep fried. It's stir fried. Okay. There you go. Okay. And typically in canola oil. Right. And she's, she's like, yeah, if you don't have to cook in oil, it's better. And anyway. Um, but butter is okay, but yes. no, don't cook in oil. Yeah, don't no, don't, don't get me on. started. Don't no, get me started. Oh, come on. Okay. Go ahead. Um, so to me, I know, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of stir fry. I love when I eat stir fried food. It's so delicious to me because what I like about it is you get two things at once. Mm-hmm. You get flavor from that char, kind of like quick instant cooking, mm-hmm. very high heat. And you get something that's not overcooked usually because it's cooked very quickly mm-hmm. and the inside stays. out of the pan. Yeah. And, it's, and it's out of the pan. So you get the two things that you, it's much harder to accomplish that in a pan, you know, in a, in a, in a saute pan, which is what you try to do in a saute pan as well. Mm-hmm. 
but it's harder to accomplish that way. So, I mean, the walk is a gorgeous tool, especially if you have the heat with it. Because I have a walk, but, uh, you know, it's hard to get the heat really um, accomplished if you don't have a... That is true. I have a commercial stove in my home kitchen, so I can get there. But even so, uh, I used to have a commercial wok I remember in my that. kitchen. Yeah, so, um, and then, you know, stove heat units are BTUs, British right. Thermal Units, right? right? And they measure your burner, the amount of heat it puts out, by the amount of BTUs it has, right? right. So a typical home stove... Their biggest burner would be about seventeen or eighteen thousand BTUs, right? A typical restaurant burner twenty four. No, 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 thirty two to thirty five thousand BTUs. So more than double what your home stove uh, typically is. A home oven, you know, when you say, "Oh, don't leave the door open because you know you lose all the heat." Well, in a restaurant kitchen, you've got forty five thousand BTUs down there. No problem; it recovers quickly. Uh, at a home kitchen, you've only got 20,000 BTUs right. down there. And if you lose the heat, it takes a while for it to come back. So it really changes your baking time. Correct. So in a stir fry, the hotter you can get that wok, the better it is. So the technique is, in my opinion, the technique would be to get your wok super hot and break up your stir fry into segments. Right? So let's say you're making a... Pork stir fry, right? Okay. So you've got extra pork chop left over. You've minced it up or chicken or whatever it is. You want to make a stir fry out of it. And you want shiitake mushrooms and snow peas and onions and carrots and all this stuff that you want in it. And so a lot of times, and you want to cook for two at least, right? So a lot of times what people do at home, not only do they have a slow burner, then they put their wok on it. Oftentimes they don't get their wok Hot enough to begin with. Correct. And then they overload the wok. And then they put everything in it. And then you have soup. Yeah. Right? You don't have a stir fry. You have soup. Correct. So the key would be set out like a cookie sheet. Have all your prep done. Get your wok super hot with plenty of uh, vegetable oil till it smokes. That's the breath of the wok, right? That's the flavor that you're adding to your stir fry. That's part of that profile you were talking about. Correct. You said what you liked about stir frying. And then you... Sear off all your snow peas. It only takes a minute. Right. Get them out of the pan onto the cookie sheet, ready to go. Get that wok hot again. Get it smoky. Do your onions. Do your shiitakes. Everything separate. Right. Right? And then uh, at the, at the la- they all have what you want to begin with. And now you just have to mix them together and kind of rewarm them. Yeah. You can rewarm them on your sheet pan in the oven. Or if you try to rewarm them back in the wok, you're going to steam everything. Bad idea. Yeah. Use so the oven. You just have to do it in stages. And it sounds like a lot of work, but it isn't really. And it's a better product at the end of the day for a stir fry. It's and not a it's do the, uh, Pardon me one second. When you do your pork, let's say you're making your black bean uh, sauce pork, mm-hmm. and that's going to be the sauce for your whole stir fry. Right. You go ahead and you velvetize your pork, which is uh, just cornstarch and soy sauce and water or whatever. You velvet, you, and you kind of marinate a little bit. And you, you put the hard sear on it. And on the side, you have a black bean sauce made with chicken stock and fermented black beans and whatever chilies and stuff that you want, whatever spices, garlic, ginger. That's all made. Now you put it into your pork, and now you've got this pork in kind of a pool of sauce. Correct. Now just toss your vegetables in that, in that hot sauce, and, and you're go. done. Yeah. yeah. You've got black bean sauce, pork, stir fry. So, yeah. I mean, I think it's a little bit counterintuitive to what people think about cooking with a wok. If I, I'm just going to throw it all in and stir it all up and stir fry it all up. It just doesn't work that way right. on a home stove, right? Only because you just don't have a commercial the heat. wok is 100,000 BTUs. 
That's more than the entire That's store. Why you can put your walk on there, and it could, you, it could glow red right. in about three minutes or less, two minutes. It's, it's more BTUs than the entire stove you have. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, so. it's, a, it's definitely, a, I think stir-fry is a little bit of a, of a trek for most people at home to do it correctly. Mm-hmm. It's a bit of a trek, but I agree with you. It's the same thing with sautéing. Most people are confused by sautéing. You know, if you take a bunch of mushroom and you put them in a sauté pan that's barely hot, you're going to get soup. You're not going to get sautéed mushroom. It's gonna, all the water is going to come out and you're going to have this boiling item as opposed to seared item. You know, searing is a, is a technique. It's the same thing. Less is better. Don't overcrowd your pan. Do it in many steps. It's much easier and you get a much better product in the end. And all of it is even. That's my recommendation. What's the other? So we have... Savory, sweet, tangy, garlicky, nutty, spicy, stir fry. Okay, we put all of them in there. Yeah, I think that's good. Sweet, stir fry, what do you think of? Well, I think of when people, you know, the number one selling thing at American Chinese restaurants is sweet and sour pork, oh, yeah, sweet yeah. and sour chicken. And that is literally, if you ever watch it being made in sugar. a Chinese restaurant, they literally will pour half a cup of sugar for one order into the kind of water-based broth with a little bit of red food dye. And that is your sweet and some vinegar, right? Sweet and sour. And that's your sauce. And literally a half a cup of sugar in one order of sweet and sour pork. So uh, it is, there's no wonder why kids love it. You know, it's an introduction kind of food to Asian cuisine. Yeah. But, oh my goodness. And, you know, lots of Asian food has sugar in it. There's, there's, it's very yeah. common. Yeah, yeah. But uh, that particular one is Americanized into a lot of sugar. Correct. I will that's, say. That's definitely something to stay away from. Oh, build your own at home and don't use sugar. Just use honey a little bit. But even so, you just don't need to use as much as yeah, it's being used. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. have to be that sweet. Yeah. Agree with that. And more vinegar is better for your guts anyway. I wonder, um, is vinegar still really good for your guts? Um, still? Some once, of it. Once it has been cooked, doesn't it kill the probiotics when it's cooked? I don't know. I don't know that either. We should look that up. Maybe Bruce knows. He's, he's going to he join does. us here in a bit. Um, but uh, we can find out. Who's Bruce? Who's Bruce? <laughs> Batman? Coming up in our second hour, speaking of Bruce, as we broadcast from our studio here at the Hotel Andra, we welcome Bruce Miyahara to hear about his very active retirement. <laughs> the least <laughs> retired guy I know. I know, exactly. <laughs> and a few tips uh, for stove and oven maintenance. And, of course, we'll finish with our Rub With Love Food for Thought. Tasty trivia. So stay with us on the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Here we go. People are fascinated. I'm Tom Douglas. And I'm Terry Rotero, the chef in the hat. Thanks for staying with us. People just want to know, Terry. Yes. People just want to know. I know. What do they want to know, Tom? We have a large hour to finish our show with today, including Rub With Love Tasty Trivia. We have Bruce Miyahara here, who you don't know, probably, but you will by the end of this day. Well, if you don't know him, it's because you've not been paying attention, but we're going to tell you all about it. But you know what people just want to know? How to cr- uh, clean your gross stovetop. <laughs> you know what we it's say? It's a burning the, you know, issue. You know what I've said for 40 years in the kitchen? Elbow grease. That's what cleans it. This is no, your I know what you said. Yo, Joe. The stove is dirty. Come, can, come clean it. I know what you said. How can you work like that? <laughs> so dirty stovetops. Now, you have a gas stove at home. Laura does not. Be, the woman behind you, she only has an electric stove because she's afraid her gas stove would blow up the house, which very well could happen. 
just happened in Philadelphia. Blew up five houses or something like that. Mike's saving up for an induction. He keeps reading all the articles about natural gas uh-huh. and said we've got to make the conversion. All right. But right now I have a dirty so gas what, stove. So what problems are you running into when it comes to cleaning that stovetop? Because, I mean, I bet the, if you look and listen to our, our, our listeners, they're probably 50-50 gas and electric, right? So Well, it's grease from sautéing. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, I use a cast iron almost every night, and... Uh, you know I love my reverse sear, so oil's flying everywhere. Tell people about your reverse sear. <laughs> Is that something well, to clean the stove with? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Kenji talks about it a lot, and now I've in even food seen, lab, right? yeah. in food lab, and now I've been even seeing reverse sears on vegetable recommendations for vegetables. <laughs> but it's uh, it's it leads to more even cooking often because you warm it up and save that hard searing for the end instead of at the beginning and then you end up uh, if you don't do it correctly with a cold middle so okay so you have have not to get off on this for one second i just want to hear so you if let's say you have a 12 ounce new york steak that you and mike are going to split because i know you would never eat that much steak you bake it first right or on in the cast iron in the oven so you just put the cold steak in the cast iron into the oven, the cold pan, everything. Yeah. How hot okay. is the oven? 350. Okay. And you pull it out when what, how hot how, how is it in the middle? 90. And then you let it sit until you're ready to give it a hard sear, or yeah. do you just go right into the hard sear? Let it sit. It depends on or where I am turn, in my do you prep. Take, use the same pan? Do you just turn up the heat on the pan and let it get going? Take it out, get the pan hot. Okay. I've learned that from you. And so that's where you're getting the grease on your stovetop, is that when you get that pan. Are you putting any fat in there to sear it with? I love a little oil and butter combo. (laughs) Okay, so now we've destroyed our stovetop. Destroyed it. Now I'm going to ask Chef Terry what he does. I, I know use, what I do, but I have a commercial stove. I use with I still iron, have to clean iron it. grates. I tell you I, I what it. I do. I use dish soap and water. You hot have water. A, tell people what kind of stove you have. You I have, have a, a nineteen fifty two Roper stove. A four burner, one oven. It's the oldest stove in the country. Still alive and still cooking. The only reason I I have a hard gas time gas or electric? Gas. The only reason I have a hard time getting rid of it is for a reason Tom and I talk often about is the space between the burner is gigantic. You could put a car on there between each, and they wouldn't touch each other. So I love that I can use my big saute pan. You're talking about sauteing. Big saute pan, you put it on the fire, and you can use another one next to it in the burner next to it. Many of the stoves they make nowadays is shorter, and the, the, the burners are so close that you can't put two yeah. 12-inch pans next to each other. And it bugs the heck out of me because of that. And also, when the pan is too hot, you can push it on the side, it stays on the stove. So, that's the reason I'm having a little hard time. I'm okay, so, is your stovetop porcelain or chrome? It's actually old porcelain, <laughs> as in the top is a lift-up top, so it's a four-burner lift-up top that uh, used to be black enamel, and most of it is you know, chipped or gone or whatever, so it's much harder to clean. Mm-hmm. Uh, to clean those, it's a steel pad, and to get rid steel of the... Steel pad or like a Brillo pad type thing? Like a Brillo pad, uh-huh. and then just soap water, and then that's it. The, what you have on your stove, unless you drop something, like for example, cream or milk or whatever, and you let it, it boils cook, over. And it boils over, and you let it cook, then it becomes a burn item. You know, something that's crusty. 
Other than that, when you're cooking, most likely it's going to be grease that goes on your stove. That's just soap and water. And then you clean that, and it's easy to clean. Don't let it sit for days, because number one, that's one of the biggest attribution to smell in your kitchen. You know when you walk in the morning and you get into your kitchen and it's not clean? It smells. That's what you smell. You smell that grease that's been staying overnight, because it's got all those smells in it, burn, and also grease. So that's what you're smelling. So if you clean it up, you won't have no smell. I mean, I'm it's surprised. So the article that caught my attention was recommending products, and I was surprised it didn't include Dawn, because Dawn is so powerful. But they. But that's more of a degreaser. That's just like most of these things that they said were uh, had a degreasing element in them. So uh, citrus is a great degreaser. It yes. doesn't matter what you use. Um, when I mean by grease, by uh, citrus is. Lemon or orange. You know, if you have anything with lemon or orange. Another one that's really good is baking soda. People don't use baking soda enough. Baking soda and vinegar in the kitchen is probably the best tool you can have. If you put that together, you have the best eater in the... You put that in your oven base. (coughs) You let it sit for maybe half hour. And then you rinse it off and clean it off. Your oven will be clean. Let's spend a minute because I know there was a question about cross contamination also. About, um, you know, like for example, my wife Jackie doesn't eat uh, crab or lobster. Whereas if I'm wok searing a crab, which I love to do salt and pepper crab or salt and pepper spot prawns or something like that, and you can accidentally spray out from the wok over other parts of the burners, I don't know how much there would be as far as cross contamination goes, but certainly peanut oil, things like that that you forget that's on there that maybe somebody has a peanut allergy to. That is a good way to get rid of all that stuff is just degrease it and move, move it on out. Uh, the the uh, Zep Foaming Citrus Degreaser is a product that apparently gets a lot of it attention. It's the top choice by Epicurious. Zep Foaming Citrus Degreaser. Yeah, I mean, uh, Citrus Degreaser. Original Liquid. Yes, I think Citrus Degreaser has been around for a long time, and it is definitely something that works in terms of degreasing. Wyman's Gas Range Degreaser, never heard of it. Uh, you got to shop for me, these products at your hardware store. To me, I just use a little uh, one of those green scratchy pads yeah. and a little soap and, I'm, uh, and a paper towel to finish. Yeah. I was having an argument about paper towels with my sister-in-law, Lori's wife, uh, I mean Michelle's wife, and uh, she was mad at me for using paper so towels. So many paper towels. Yeah, exactly. You get that same way, that yeah. righteous way sometimes. Exactly. But then she won't buy anything but Charmin paper, uh, toilet paper, which is virgin forest out of central Canada. And uh, come on. So thick. So, yeah. And so I said, uh, your little tush-tush <laughs> needs Charmin, but I can't use a paper towel in my kitchen? What's going on here? Exactly. <laughs> on, that right. r- on that rant. Our pal Bruce Mihar is coming up uh, on turning his love of food into a retirement project. On Cairo Radio, <laughs> it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. We are back. It's the Hot Stove Society Kitchen right here in downtown Seattle, where we do our show from every Friday morning. Thank you for joining us. Uh, You can join us live on YouTube. Go to our YouTube channel through Tom Douglas and Co. and uh, look for our Pretty Faces Stove Society show. Pretty Faces. And then uh, we generally, I will say, tape on Friday mornings, although it's been a little bit wacky because of this and that this summer. But uh, generally, Friday mornings from 9 to 11. So we'd love to see you here. We have a few folks here today who had a delicious breakfast sandwich. Everything okay? 
Excellent. Good. Good, good. Chef Amy. Chef, Chef Amy rocked Chef Amy this made morning. That, yeah. Bruce Miyahara is joining us. Hello. Hello. Hello, Bruce. I first met Bruce at one of our summer camps way back when. Uh, it's which like 2008, is uh, 2008, I think. and it's also what spurred us to open this particular cooking school, Hot Stove Society, because uh, we really loved giving the camp. People loved taking the camp, and uh, we have become lifelong friends with uh, several of our original campers. Bruce has run with that in a in a bigger way. So, Bruce, give us a little bit of your background, and then tell us about your exciting retirement. <laughs> well. Um Public health has been my basic background. I um, opened a community health center in the International District in the 1970s, then uh, graduate school, health administration, then worked with the King County Health Department for about 15 years, was the Secretary of Health in Washington State for about five, six years, and then been consulting in uh, health care last 20, 25 years. And, of course, you know, uh, can you be specific on that? Because when we think about King County Health, we think about the inspectors that come to our restaurants two or three or four times a year and make sure that everything's on the up and up. Uh, but there's other parts of the health department that uh, oh, no, like, abs- like absolutely. your public pools. And, you know, I mean, there's a million things, right? All kinds of things. Environmental health, uh, solid waste sites, um, immunization programs, um, early childhood development programs. Uh, in fact, when I was... Um, there we had, if you don't remember, the um, Excedrin capsule, the cyanide in the Excedrin yeah, capsules. Yeah. Yeah. Well, nobody had authority to close down all the uh, stores to pull the material, so we had to do that. So emergency huh. public health measures. Interesting. Wow. What's been the wackiest thing that's come across your desk in all those years? Wackiest? Probably the Excedrin thing was a big deal, wasn't well, it? Well, no, the... Um, uh, e. coli, Jack in the Box E. coli. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. My first day as secretary. No way. Of say yes. So we had to deal with that. I just sort of happened to be walking around the public health laboratory, and the epidemiologist came up and said, You know, we're seeing a bunch of these strange infections. And then all of a sudden, there were more, and we had to right? get Right, we lost a few kids during yeah. that, right? Yeah, I remember yeah. that. That was actually the first time that um, we were able to um, release the name of establishments, you know, associated with some foodborne outbreak. Well, yeah, once death comes around, I mean, that gets very serious. Oh, yeah. So that's really changed the program. And you probably had to handle all the media and all the things that come along with that kind of hysteria. Well, that time we sort of shared it, put the uh, scientific people out front rather than the political types. Right. Uh So that there was better discussion on what was really going on. Right. How far have we come in the health department world? I mean, do you feel like we're doing a better job today than uh, when than when we knew less? Uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I mean, are are the measures put into place? Uh, there's so many things. Like as restaurants, we hear all these things coming down the pike. Like we're not going to be able to serve fresh fish anymore. It's all going to have to be frozen to a certain temp and for a certain amount of time. You know, be you know, it's like we're using Oklahoma City rules on our fish, right? Mm-hmm. So we're hearing these things, but are these things working? Yes like, and no. Less dangerous? Yes and no. I think uh, getting into the HACCP plan makes more sense. Uh-huh. Which know, is what? Uh, crit- crit- uh, What's the Critical HACCP? something. Critical yeah. control points. Yeah, yeah. control points. You remember the end of it, <laughs> not the beginning. Yeah. So I think that some makes people in restaurants think about their processes. Right. And then what are the really important points? 
and then focus attention on measuring temp at a certain point or holding something at a certain point. How long to cool it, how long to heat it. Exactly. But then, you know, those sorts of things are great. I still have a problem with gloves. Gloves, to me, are an issue, but, I mean, I I do it. I have a a big problem with plastic board. You know, it's like I remember very much, because we're, we're old enough to remember this, Tom and I, when they change from wood to plastic, right. it was mandatory, blah, blah, blah. It's <laughs> going to be more safe. And guess what? 20 years later, uh, actually, not so much. I'm like, <laughs> I told you this when it started. Uh-huh. You feel like, why didn't you listen? There's little things in place that are interesting to me, and I, I think that they're working, but I don't know. But um, like tags, whenever I serve an oyster, it, I have to have the tag of where was grown when it was harvested 90 and, days uh and i have to keep that i think for three months or something mm-hmm. yeah like 90 that. days 90 days mm-hmm. uh and i so I, I make sure i do that but that's certainly when i first started none of that uh, sourcing uh material was available so that if you did have a oyster issue like you you sometimes have in Puget sound exactly. right muscle issue whatever it is clams uh you can actually trace it back to a certain area that's struggling mm-hmm. yeah. and then well uh, with oysters when i was starting at hanyato we were serving oysters, and I was um, shucking some uh-huh. one day, and I, I use uh, the towel mm-hmm. and just prop it open. It was a little messy, so I was going to flip this one over. My finger, the inspector happened to be there, and I wasn't wearing a glove, and she was almost going to sight me because I was almost going to touch the oyster because really? I had to flip it. You know, and that's where... You know, flipping it is cheating on its I know, own. I know, I know. Without the inspector. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an amateur, so. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, because I wasn't wearing a glove, so if I had touched it, I would have been sighted. Right. But you don't know where that glove would have been. If, I'm, if you're washing your hands, it makes no difference. Right. You're not changing your gloves often enough. Same, right. I, same think, I think that's what needs to be explained is, you need to wash your hand, period. Right, right. Whether you're at home or anywhere. I mean, I still, I'm still amazed to go to a bathroom and see people come out <laughs> without washing their hand. <laughs> to me, it's 2022. I'm like, there's signs everywhere. It's, I don't understand that. I, I, I don't understand that. But to go into, you know, yes, I, I'm with you. The gloves, unfortunately, gives a false confidence. And people forget they're wearing them. And they're using the gloves everywhere. Mm. The same glove. Yeah. So then how did you, uh, you uh, we have a couple of minutes to uh, figure out how you got to Haniatu. <laughs> what, what happened there? You were retired. We heard you were retiring, and then all of a sudden you are well working every night. <laughs> all of this started because of you and Summer Camp. Oh, blame me. No yeah. problem. Yeah. <laughs> Just got inspired, you know, in the food industry and loved working in the kitchen. You know, you let us play in your kitchens mm-hmm. as we learned stuff. And uh, it actually was a Soma. Mutsuko Soma, who was um, owner of Kamonegi and Hanyato, um, did a demo at one of the summer camps right. here. And then right after... Of her ap- soba noodles, if I remember. Exactly. Yeah. She does handmade soba noodles. And uh, I was going to Japan that year, so I f- contacted her after the demo to figure out how and where to get that f- big soba knife that she uses uh-huh. to cut the noodles so we started to um stay in touch and then i took a private lesson from her and then she told me i'm going to start a restaurant kamonegi i said can i help <laughs> so i went in and helped remodel and did painting and then went in and 
<laughs> started it's funny learning because that when thing. it was up on 45th or when no, she moved to her new location new location okay. yeah she was uh, had a baby so she quit 45th right. and she was starting this place up and then right in the middle of that um she started um sake in kamonegi and so i said you should up your sake game uh-huh. so the spot a couple of doors away opened up and she started an izakaya or a sake place which is hanyato and then I helped remodel that and help staff it. And I still go in now once, once a week and make her duck meatballs and go help out at uh, Hanyato. Oh, fun. Yeah. Yeah, I have not eaten at the new one yet. Mm-hmm. I've been to Kamenegi a few times. Yeah, well, she has an izakaya, which is sort of a, you translate into, I think, a stay drink place. Originally, it was where you went to buy sake. And then it's expanded now, so it's a drinking place, and you have a lot of small bites, and you just hang out real casual. All right, nice. we're going to do that with Bruce in the next segment. We're going to hang out real casual. <laughs> we're also going to find out about Project Rice. Sounds good. All right, sounds good. Right here on Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. We're back in the kitchen with Bruce Miyahara. Uh, Bruce, before we get off on the Project Rice, let's finish our conversation about sake and hanyoto. Um, you took a deep dive into sake, and I think, uh, as Pamela told us in the break, that you think that people get confused by it or are intimidated by it. Absolutely. And you're a wine person, and you are too, right? Yes, be- because like with wine, it takes some concentration to learn the different styles. Right. I mean, Who wants to concentrate a, and drink at the same let's time? Let's be clear, it's not a wine. It's a, it's a brewed product. <laughs> Correct. But, uh, but, but, yeah, I think people are intimidated. You walk into Wajamaya, there may, there's maybe oh 50, yeah. 70 to choose from. Where do you start? And it's a little bit like olive oil in a funny way. So, Bruce, mm. uh, where do people start with sake, and what's the difference? Well, first, um, it's called sake, not sake. 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 And like you said, it's a brewed um, alcohol drink. And uh, the process is more, is more closely associated with beer than it is with wine. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one way to st- start thinking about sake is you can branch. There's a table sake and there's premium sake. Uh, the premium sake has a lot of regulation associated with it on the descriptions you can use and how it's made and how it's treated. Um, the ta- uh, they're both good. Table sake um, is excellent, too. It's just the other one, as usual, is more expensive. Right. And, uh, more Will it say premium it. on the label? No. Okay. You, uh, that is where you get into some of the descriptions. Um, after you get into premium category, then there's another split. One is called Junmai, mm-hmm. which is called pure rice. That means that the Junmai is made with only four ingredients, water, koji, yeast, and rice. The other split during the process, um, Honjozo, they can add some brewer's alcohol to it. Not, not to bring the um, alcohol level up, but they bring the alcohol level up to extract other flavors, and then they add water to it. So... The Honjozo has more water and um, alcohol added to it to bring it down to about 16%. So most, somebody, most, most of the sake is r- around 15 to 16%. So 
So if somebody were to go down to a uh, and buy a bottle of sake, where would you have them start? Is there a brand that's readily available across most stores that you would have them start with? Um, and maybe well, to show them a drier and a sweeter version? Well, I think if you start with, um, it's a little more expensive, but it's sort of the classic clean um, sake would be a dasai. Mm-hmm. Um, I How do you spell that? D-A-S-S-A-I. Uh, it's going to cost a little more, but it's um, been a famous brand in Japan, and you find it in most places. And in that one, you can, they also rate it by numbers. I think it's now 49 and a 35 and a 23. Those uh, relate to the polishing level of the rice. Mm-hmm. Um, the outside of the rice contains a lot of um, proteins and fats in the bran, and they polish that off to get to the center of the rice with more starch. And then that starch... That's what creates that fermentation. A, a clean taste. Yeah. Yeah. But as opposed to real brewing where you have a mash, you know, the germination part creates enzymes that break the starch into oh, yeah. um, sugars mm-hmm. that ferment. For sake, they have to add koji, which is a fungus... Once it's polished down, because the germ is polished off. Mm. And what that does is it um, grows on the rice and creates the, all the enzymes that you need for the flavoring. The amylase, which converts the starch into sugars. Protease, which breaks down the proteins into amino acids. So that's wow. where some of the flavor it's, comes from. It can from. get d- deeper and deeper, is my right. guess. Yeah. Which is, which <laughs> is pretty So deep. Dasai, try, if you're you new to sake, try a brand called Dasai. D-A-S-S-A-I, right. and then uh, let us know what you think. Just contact Pamela at Hot Stove Society Radio and let us know what you think, what you learned about sake. Okay, I want to make sure we get to Project Rice. Tell us about that. Well, Project Rice is uh, my idea of trying to uh, blend two periods in my life. Way back in uh, the 70s when I worked in the International District, I helped open a community health center and then worked with other agencies, um, Asian Counseling and Referral Service. The clinic was called International Community Health Services and the Wing Luke Museum. Um, Also involved, we were doing a lot of work to protect the International District from development. Literally, they were building the original kingdom right next to the International District, and we were worried about what that could do to the area. Um, So that's where... This project, I want to help those agencies, and I want to help protect the International District. Even today, um, the Sound Transit new um, terminal, yeah. I was saw that threatened. Yeah, threatened to be on Fourth Avenue. I mean Fifth Avenue, and it should have been on Fourth Avenue to help ease the problem on the International District. Now they put a hold on it, so we'll see. And then, uh, I mean, the word today in the paper were pretty harsh when they say right. either a hold or right. death, like it's not going to happen. Right. I'm like, how do they do that? Right. So that was my early period with mm-hmm. the social programs and the international district. Now we fast forward to retirement, getting into the food industry, and I'm just trying to figure out how to merge the two interests in history. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking about creating a sort of a virtual organization of chefs and restaurateurs and suppliers to help do some food-oriented fundraising for the neighborhood and for the agencies. Um, You've all been to those big galas that they Mm -hmm. have to do for fundraising, and everybody's tired of uh, uh, 
beef and salmon at those things <laughs> and sitting around. So Let's see if that's not chicken. <laughs> so just trying to come up with a variety of approaches for maybe big galas to small pop-ups, interesting pop-ups where they can dedicate the proceeds to um, these agencies. Mm-hmm. A lot of um, the chefs that I've already talked to and brought in think the idea is pretty good because it spreads the burden yeah. and then we can uh, pat match up people so well we it's press the burden and bring the awareness too because exactly. i think it's like anything else it's a community that we don't want to lose so you got to constantly be on the horn because people forget right you take it for granted you go oh yeah the the you know the district is over there you take it for granted next thing you know oops it's gone yeah, yeah. So it, happens, it happens in other places so uh-huh I was also inspired um, a little bit. Um, I got to go to the James Beard Award this past year, and Grace Young um, got a humanitarian award Mm -hmm. for the work she was doing trying to preserve and save the New York Chinatown. Mm -hmm. And so I'm trying to put all of this together and seeing what can come up with. Uh, Also, uh, train a volunteer group to help. I mean, part of the cost, you know, the facilities costs, so if we can find a free or inexpensive, you know, venues, that would be good. And if we can train a, like an army of volunteers to help out, I think they'd love to do it. Mm-hmm. Just like, you know, I've got into this because of things you do. You've got Doug mm-hmm. around. So I think there are quite a few people that, you know, are pretty good in the kitchen and give them a little bit of training. And sure. they could be very helpful in some Absolutely. of these events. Great concept. Yeah. Great idea of getting the community together, yeah, too. right. Don't look further than just where you are. Usually that's the answer. <laughs> it's so interesting. I'm old enough now to, to have seen several revolutions of neighborhoods and things. Uh, and you think about Chinatown in New York and how important that is. But you also think about Little Italy being threatened by Chinatown in New York and by <laughs> new, new Saigon town or yep. Japanese town yep. or... Yep. Uh, you know, it's it's funny because they're pushing the Italians out, who push the Jews out, who push. I mean, it's just it's interesting Things to move, see this right. evolution. And right. here in in Seattle, you know, there's been this move away from Chinatown to the International District, which isn't really a district, right? We had uh, what's her name, Kleiss, uh Miss Kleiss on, who talked about that a little bit a few weeks ago on this show mm-hmm. about uh, it's okay to call it Chinatown. It's yeah. not a racist term. Right. It's what it is. Uh-huh. It's, it's in the city charter. Uh, and that's I, I didn't even think about it from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was trying to be more politically correct, I guess. Uh, but no, it is Chinatown, and then there's Little Saigon, and then there's other little areas yeah, that are ethnically it's been, based. It's been chopped up over time. Yeah, uh, right. Well, well go all the way back to when you know my parents went to the relocation camps. Then the Japantown area exactly. sort of died off. I uh-huh. five came through the right through the middle of it, and so the upper half sort of withered for a while, mm-hmm. and then. The kingdom, so it's it's been Took a the challenge bottom half. The whole yeah, time. for sure. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, it travels all the way down Rainier Valley. If you ever want a slice of Seattle, just drive Rainier Avenue mm-hmm. all the way, say to Renton, mm-hmm. yeah, from from Goodwill to Renton, mm-hmm. and you go through a lot of little towns, Absolutely. you know, a lot of little ethnic towns. Yeah. So, well, congratulations on Project Rice. We will yeah, keep track very... of your projects. Thank you uh, and your progress. Uh, and let us you... know if we can help. I just. Recruited you. Yeah, you're signed up. <laughs> uh, are you going to stay so we can kick your butt in trivia? Sure. Yeah. Oh, I like it. <laughs> wow, awesome. He's the only one with the college education. Here, so. <laughs> we'll see how this goes. 
Uh, when we come back, yes, it indeed. It's uh, time for Rub With Love, Food for Thought, Tasty Trivia, right here on Cairo Radio 97.3 FM. We are back in the kitchen for our final segment today. Thanks for hanging with us all day long. Hope you're enjoying the show. We, we sure have a good time here once a week uh, taping this. So uh, thankfully, uh, there's a few of you out there that listen to us. What are you planting? What are you harvesting? Let us know on our website or on our email, hotstovesociety.com, right? Is that how, that, how they communicate yeah. with us? Yeah. We'd like to know. I want to know. Are you picking zucchinis? What are you doing? What are you doing out there? You should be picking a zucchini. <laughs> uh, okay, so this uh, trivia is brought to you by Rub With Love. It's my spice rub brand that's handcrafted out there in Ballard. The versatile rubs, sauces, and mustards that add a flavorful kick and a whole lot of love to just about any meat, fish, or vegetable. Look for our products in your local grocery store or butcher shop. Just a few could be things like Mutual Fish on Rainier Avenue in Seattle, uh, Gartner's Meats in Portland, Sonnenberg's in Spokane, also here at the Hot Stove Society, Dahlia Bakery in Seatown, and Serious Pie in Ballard, we carry the whole lineup, which is hard to find sometimes. You can't find all of our products, but we have them down here in downtown. Okay, Bruce Mehar is going to stay with us. He is the uh, retired professional who got into the food business, not by mistake, but by choice afterwards. That's his retirement. Inspired uh, by you. Inspired. Wow. Uh, Pamela, uh, how do people play this game, and who's our winner today? The game is very special today. I like how you go, who's the winner? No, not us, not of us. But who wins our prize? Today? Okay. Our live audience. I'm going to let each of our beautiful attendees pick a rub today. You know, I'm trying not to go broke. Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay. It used to be just one person got them. one thing. No, everybody gets and now one everything's today. Getting every, everybody's getting everything. Yeah, Jesus. pretty great. Hey, Zeus, man. <laughs> Uh, So Carol Bausch wrote our questions for us today, popular culture. So it's uh, food, I mean, movies and songs that have food in the name or the lyric. I know I'm going to suck It's kind of getting like the New York Times crossword. I know. (laughs) Most shorts is the editor, but there's a different writer. What about doing the the Wordle, for example? Because I do it every day, and I'm pretty good at it. Uh, The Wordle? uh, uh. Yeah, yesterday I did it in two. Gentlemen, ladies, two. Let's go. All right. Terry Rotoro. Okay, let's do it. Number one. This is a movie one. Uh, what is the name of this movie in 2008 starring Sean Penn, the story of an American gay activist who fought for gay rights and became California's first openly gay elected official? I was going to say Philadelphia, but that's with Tom Hanks, so that's not the one. That's um, not the one. I know this one. I know this one, too, but I can't remember the title. I'll give you the first name. Go ahead. Harvey. Milk. What is Harvey it? Milk. Oh. A 1967 film starring Catherine Hepburn and Cindy Poitier, one of the most handsome men in the movies ever. A couple's attitudes are challenged when their daughter introduces them to her African-American fiancé. What's the title? I don't know. I've seen the movie at least twice. (laughs) Can't remember the name of it. Guess who's coming to dinner? Oh, yes. Oh, I should have remembered that. Number three. I think I was thinking of Maya Angelou's poem. Uh, A 1959 song by James Brown inspired teens to dance with a lot of heel Hot (laughs) pants! Mashed potato. Okay, well, that was another one. (laughs) I just had to guess. 1971 song by Don McLean. Long, long time ago. 
I can still... What's the name of that song? A long, long time ago. I can still remember. Dude, you're killing me right now. American Pie. American Pie. American Pie it is. Yes. Over four. Jeez. And I knew I was going to suck at this. A 1970s song by Creedence Clearwater Revival. Also used in the movie Big Chill. A number of artists have done it. Uh, let's hear it if you know the song. Let's I just don't know the... Heard it through the grapevine. Thank you. <laughs> How'd you do, Chef? I did very well. <laughs> I have a smiley face instead of a zero. Uh, Bruce, my next victim. But I know there's a lot of listeners right now jumping up and down trying to answer yep. those questions. Yep. Especially, look at the crowd here. Bruce, number one, a 1991 film starring Kathy Bates, Jessica Tandy, Mary Louise Parker, about a housewife who is unhappy yeah. with her life, oh, I uh, befriends an old lady at a nursing home, oh. and is enthralled uh. by the tales she tells people he knows it already. she used to know. I don't know it. I can see the movie. Cornmeal. 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 Think about cornmeal. Cornmeal. Oh, that's a good, that's a good hint. Buttermilk. Buttermilk. Cornmeal. Pancakes? Thinking. Thinking. Fried green tomatoes. Uh, fried green tomatoes. Right, right. <laughs> Number two, a film starling, star, <laughs> starring the beautiful Juliette Binoche and Johnny Depp. A French woman and her young daughter open a chocolate shop in a small remote village that shakes up the rigid morality of the community. Why didn't I get that? Uh, that one I have no idea. Mm, Chocolat. Chocolat. Oh. <laughs> beautiful movie. Number three. Zero for zero. Uh, Carol worked hard on 1971 these. 1971 song uh, by the Rolling Stones on their legendary album, Sticky Fingers, that has a sweet reference in the title. Brown Sugar. You got Brown it. Brown Sugar. Yep. This is a 19... I'm looking for the title of this song, and I'm going to give you a lyric. A 1967 song by the Beatles... Let me take you down, cause I'm going to. You're not as old as you look. I'm going to. Can't believe you didn't go into singing. <laughs> Tone deaf. <laughs> strawberry, oh, strawberry field. Oh, strawberry field. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. What was that? Three. Yeah. No, two. Two. 1961 film starring Audrey Hepburn and George Pappard, a young New York socialite becomes interested in a young man who's moved into her apartment building, but her past threatens to get in the way. One of Audrey Hepburn's greatest roles, related to a jewelry store. He leaves across the... (laughs) Related Um, to a jewelry store. Breakfast at Tiffany's. Breakfast at Tiffany's. Thank you. Three out of five. Great show. Wow. That was it? That was all five? Three out of five. All right. Mr. Douglas, 1991 <coughs> film starring Michael Jordan. In a desperate attempt to win a basketball match and earn their freedom, the Looney Tunes seek the aid of a retired basketball champion. Space Jam. You know that. What? <laughs> Strawberry Jam. Is Number really? two of the 1940 film starring Henry Ford and John Carradine based on the John Steinbrecht novel of the same name. The Grapes of Wrath. The great what? The Grapes of Wrath. Oh, yeah. Here's a song by Prince. I'm going to give you a lyric, and I want the name. A 1985 song. When it is warm, she wears little else. Mm -hmm. Strawberry Beret. 
<laughs> raspberry, raspberry, but we'll beret. give it to you. <laughs> strawberry beret. I like that. Strawberries on my mind. I know, it's like, it's cool. Uh, this is a, a song by Fats Domino. I'm going to give you a lyric. I found my thrill. Oh. Uh, <laughs> found in my Capitol thrill. Hill. <laughs> Blueberry Hill. Um, Blueberry Hill. And finally... Um, a 1978 song by Jimmy Buffett. The song was inspired by a boating trip gone wrong in which Jimmy Buffett and other passengers aboard had to survive several days on peanut butter and canned food. Margaritaville. <laughs> Cheeseburger from paradise, please. How do you I do, wouldn't... Terry? Four out of five. Tom wins that one big yep. time. Wow. Congratulations. Not only did I win, but I get to give away a bunch of uh, spice yeah. rubs. That's super awesome. If you want to be the part of the show and be a super winner, you can catch uh, taping here at the hot stove, uh, uh, or you can watch us on YouTube at Tom Douglas and Company, or buy a ticket at hotstovesociety.com. You're listening to us on Cairo. The show is produced by Pamela Hinckley, admirably. Sound and production by Sean McFadden, and our editor is Sean Don't Call Me Del Torre. Remember, if you miss any episode of our Hot Stove Society show, you can listen via podcast. Just subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening and have a wonderful summer weekend.